Should you take that? Yeah. (laughs) I'm Allie Grant. And I'm just you. Welcome to Follow Me, your resource for all things influencer. Brought to you by B Social Group. Now, let's see who we're following this week. If you're not already getting a natural affinity towards those brands and those brands aren't naturally going to you, then you need to change the content to attract those brands. And that's not an easy task. You might need to rebrand your entire brand. Okay, well, this is not an iHeart podcast. This is Tori Bell Moraldi, who is on with me today to do our intro because Jess is at New York Fashion Week. So Tori, you used to work at iHeart, is that correct? What did you do there? I was a producer for four years, well, almost four, uh, produced the Ryan Seacrest Morning Show, as well as developed the whole talent-based podcast wing that still exists there today, and it was grown into West Hollywood. And they have Paris Hilton now and Will Ferrell. They have Paris Hilton as a podcast? Yeah. Who doesn't have a podcast? You. Don't get me started. <laughs> wow. Give anyone a mic and then it's are you, are so <laughs> Dead. Okay. Anyways, um, you work at Be Social now and you're a talent manager and you rep the Lady Gang. You have a really cool client portfolio, daytime, all yeah. the things. We start every episode the same. Who or what are you following on the internet this week, Tori? Okay, I, Allie and I cannot be more opposite human beings on what we follow. There are so many times she'll mention something and I have to Google it. So I'm here to talk about the opposite. What's an example of one of those things that you had to Google? Well, I will say, I mean, Warby Parker. She didn't know what Warby Parker was. I thought it was Warby Park. No, Warby Parker. Oh. (laughs) But you can name like a quarterback on the Eagles. Is that what we're getting into? I am a huge sports fan. Okay. My father played in the NFL for eight years. My brother played in that, wow, drawing a blank, MLB. Okay. Oh, I didn't know that. mm -hmm. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, he was drafted with Tampa Bay. Is he still in that? No, he got injured. So he like made it and then got, was one of those kids that got injured and then. Yeah. So you love some sports. So I love sports. So my day was filled with the Super Bowl, looking at all the beautiful athlete wives and girlfriends and what they're wearing. <laughs> all of my makeup How did artists. you even look at that information? Oh, my gosh. Instagram? Yes. Like okay. All of them. My For You page is very curated. It is oh. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, all of their girlfriends, wives. They have wives. But yeah, all the athlete girlfriends, Travis Kelsey's like a huge family thing. Everyone thinks that the, those brothers are so freaking hot. So all of that is pumped through my little Instagram. Oh, phone. wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, you should start repping talent in that space. We're trying. If you guys are an athlete's wives, a wag, some may say, slide in my DMs. Yeah. I love I don't that get for the you. men. I just get, you know, the females. Right. Yeah. Which it's like they can do the fashion and beauty content and still be like adjacent to the sports community, which is like your dream. It's like right. you basically. Like, yeah. One day I will be. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, okay. Well, let's get into our guest. Ashley runs the only women-led, women-focused talent management company in the digital space. After graduating from UCLA in 2007 and loyal... Go Bruins. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. And Loyola Law School in 2011, Ashley joined esteemed movie studio Lionsgate before acting as in-house counsel at Style Hall, the first ever fashion-focused multi-channel network. She founded Rare Global in 2014. 
Ashley has founded multiple charity initiatives, including the Be Rare Foundation, a nonprofit for women entrepreneurs, and Asian Women Alliance, which has raised over 100000 in funding for AAPI initiatives. Okay, this episode is so great. I've like always looked up to Ashley as someone who's built a company in this space. She has amazing talent like Jen M, which is like OG YouTuber in the space. In this episode, we talk about how to be a talent manager, building your own business, tons of legal jargon, because she's a legal, she's an attorney, she's a legal, she's an attorney and a manager, which like, oh my gosh. The dream. The dream. The dream. Yeah. I need to go to law school. And then creating a brand as an influencer. So this is a great episode. Enjoy. All right, let's get into it. I have Ashley... (laughs) I just told her not to put her coffee down, and she put her coffee down loud. I'm so sorry. (laughs) She says she's not a content creator, but she so is, which we will get into. Um, Okay, we start every episode the same, Ashley. We are going to do a little game, and it's called Rapid Fire Legal Edition. All right. (laughs) Nothing sounds more boring than this, but I swear it's interesting. I think I can try to make it fun. Okay, good. So I'm going to name, like, a term, like, a legal term that has to do with, like, influencer agreements, and in, like, a sentence, you tell us what it means. Okay. So it's not really, like, rapid fire. Is that This is more like a test. (laughs) Yes. Then. (laughs) Like, do you have your law degree? Let's test it. Okay, first word, perpetuity. Okay. The usage is actually usually in perpetuity. Okay. So it means forever, essentially. Okay. And that's kind of like a bad thing, right? If you see that like in a contract, if they're not paying for that usage. I guess generally for content creators, you would never really want someone to have anything in perpetuity, but sometimes it could make sense if it's a deal that maybe you're you're selling something that would maybe I, I'm trying to think of some exceptions usually, but yeah, yeah. Generally, when you see in perpetuity, it, it pertains to usage of your content, and it would not usually be a good thing. We try to limit it. Okay, you know, like maybe they could only use it for one month, even. It's such short term stuff. Yeah, in what we do. Yeah, makes sense. Pay for play. Okay, it's pay or play. <laughs> <laughs> I fail, and I don't have a law degree. You're kind of making me doubt myself now, like. Pay or play. Right. So. No, it is. Is it pay or play or pay for play? It's pay or play. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's go. (laughs) Oh, my God. You know, essentially, traditionally, you encountered this phrase. It's a term of art, what we call a term of art Mm -hmm. in legal. Okay. So everyone kind of knows, you know, it doesn't really make sense if you're looking up in the dictionary, but Mm -hmm. in legal, you would kind of know that it means a certain thing. Okay. And it's traditionally found in movies. So like Mm -hmm. a contract in movies, it would say, Tom Cruise is pay or play, meaning that if you book him out for a certain period of time, like the next six months, he's shooting a movie. If you guys decide not to go forward with the movie, you still got to pay him Mm. because you're, you're taking him out of the category to be able to work, you know? Got it. So we still use that sometimes in contracts because, you know, if Jen decides to move forward with working with La Mer, she might not take a competing luxury skincare line. And so we use that language, meaning if we move forward and we all sign here, if you guys suddenly, you know, out of no reason at all and no fault of hers, decide to change the contract or just terminate it all, she would still have to be paid, Mm. you know? So that's something to push for. Yes, definitely push for it, especially in long-term deals. Yeah. Um, I mean, we push for it no matter what, Mm -hmm. but in long-term deals, you know, if she's doing like a six-month HelloFresh deal you know, she might not be working and she'll pass on all the competitors because mm. first of all, there's usually exclusivity. And then, you know, second of all, you just wouldn't 
be doing that really. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, as managers, yeah, we wouldn't want all these competing brands to pay our clients because yeah. it just, it's too much ad in, in their content. Yeah. So yeah, I would push for pay or play, especially in long-term agreements because you don't want all of a sudden your client to be left high and dry of having passed all these deals and then mm-hmm. not getting paid at all. Yeah. I and mean, they have to get paid to their livelihood. Yeah. So 100%. you definitely want that kind of, it's like a little guarantee. Got but it. It means a little different in what we do as in the movies previously, but yeah. we can still apply it conceptually. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. And the reason I'm asking you or playing this game with you is that you're an attorney, correct? Right. Yes. So tell us about your background and how you got into now the influencer space. Kind of by accident, to be honest. Um, I say the same thing. I'm like, it fell in my in my lap, but like not really because it was yeah, hard work. <laughs> but yeah, go on. I think that the opportunity did fall into my lap. I went to UCLA. I did okay, but I wasn't, you know, I had no true career aspirations in college, mm-hmm. which is so strange to think about because I remember thinking, I just need to get some job to pay my bills because honestly, I just want a vacation. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my vibe for a long time. Even going into law school, I just kind of went to law school because, you know, I'm Asian and my parents wanted me to. It was like doctor, lawyer, or engineer. I can't do math. Yeah. Like very well. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I can't really add very well. I can I can do basic adding, okay? <laughs> Not the, the crazy math we were learning at UCLA. Yeah. Barely passed math one. So okay. say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just went to law school because I was good at writing. And so I thought, okay, I got to keep doing something. So I went to law school and, you know, Loyola Law. So a lot of the connections were in entertainment. Mm. So I got a really cool internship at Fox Sports. Okay. And I got some other cool, like, entertainment-type internships. And so I thought, oh, you know what? I really like watching movies, so I guess I'll work in movies, Mm -hmm. you know? I think a lot of people in entertainment, they're huge movie buffs. They know every single actor. I'm not going to lie. I barely know any names. I mean, I can tell, you know, certain people, but it's not my passion, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So um, I ended up working at Lionsgate after law school in the, uh, actually in the general counsel's office. So I was in charge of actually starting all the corporations and production companies and coordinating them with my boss. And then he was the associate general counsel. So it was me on the floor of like the CEO, the CFO, a lot of great connections it ended up being because they found me my next job, which is actually at a film sales agency. And I worked under an amazing woman named Virginia Longmere, and she mentored me to understand license agreements, which actually coincidentally is most of the deals that you know, we work on yeah. just licensing the content of our, our clients mm-hmm. for certain periods of time. And so I worked in like director deals and, you know, just different sales deals, a lot of international ones because they had to do with financing films. Mm. So interestingly, that's when my sister called me up one day. It was like a year into this job. And I really, when you're cranking contracts all day, you get really good at contracts, you know? So mm-hmm. I felt pretty, uh, well, initially she asked me if I could help find her, her best friend, Jen M. And Jen M is now probably one of the most well-known YouTubers, yeah. Korean-American YouTubers and in fashion. And at the time, though, like, was she big or just up and coming? She was already pretty big. Okay. Um, I mean, not at 3 million on YouTube as she is now, or even, I think, like, she has such, like, cult following, well-known presence in, like, our space. Mm-hmm. She was already pretty well-known, but not you know, as well known as now. I mean, yeah. it has been quite a long time. So you yeah. get, you generally do grow. Yeah. But yeah, she was already getting some really cool deals. So I tried to find her a digital media attorney mm. and I couldn't find one. Hmm. So I asked everyone. I How mean, long ago was this? This is like eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. Maybe nine, 
Oh, I know. <laughs> We're like old in the industry. <laughs> uh, wait a second. Yeah. We just yeah. celebrated Rare Global 7 anniversary. So I think that was nine years ago. Yeah. Maybe it, more. The industry itself is like 10 years old, I feel like. Yeah, I think, I think it was like nine and a half years or something. Yeah. Okay. Because there's a period of time where I said to Stephanie, my sister, as a favor, ugh, fine. I'll, mm. I'll like kind of like uh, a favor. I was like, yeah. she doesn't have anyone and I can do them on the side kind of thing. Okay. You know, so that's kind of what I did. And it's called moonlighting, which I totally shouldn't have been doing at all. Mm. But uh, I'm like on the patio of yeah. like the office taking these. So it's like, like your side hustle. It was. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yeah. really back then too, like side hustles weren't really glorified at all. No. It yeah. was. It wasn't allowed. You know, yeah. you shouldn't have a side hustle. Now at Rare Global, we're like, everyone should have a side hustle. Mm-hmm. You know, my uh, my sister Hope, her side hustle is making t-shirts. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you're, you know, having something else. But yeah, so then it was on the side. And then I started getting all these, like, YouTube clients. Like, her friends, she would tell her friends that she had an attorney who would help her with her deals. And back then, it was a lot of MCN deals. Yeah. Like, you know, the Style Halls, Maker Studios, Machinima. And they would aggregate all of these like content creators so they could sell the ad space. Mm. And so they pay them like big upfront fees sometimes. And so when that big deal came through, a lot of content creators who had, you know, generally just been kind of reading and hoping that their contracts were okay. And they had like, like Jen, for example, had no like agent or manager at the time. No, no, none of them really did. Mm. You know, no one did. And so I started getting all these clients. And I, and were you making about 5% of each deal? Yeah, I just did 5%. Okay. And I thought they were so cool too. It was like L'Oreal, Lacoste, you know, Maybelline. Yeah, yeah. Like, stuff I, you actually liked. Yeah, like yeah. They, like I actually do like beauty. Mm-hmm. I love clothes. Mm-hmm. I've always been this way. I've always been someone who likes in these categories. Yeah. To be honest, movies, not my passion. Right, right. I hate to say that shopping was my passion, but I kind of like <laughs> love shopping, you know? I feel you. Um, love beauty, love skincare, all of that since I was so young. Yeah. Um, so these deals started becoming so much more fun. Like I remember Jen went and shot for Teen Vogue and I thought, I've been reading Teen Vogue since mm-hmm. I was like nine years old, you know, yeah. um, since my mom bought me one at the grocery store. So they just seemed so cool to me. And then I remember I negotiated so many deals against a company called Style Hall that yeah. they actually called me up, Natasha and Vanessa, and said, well, can you just come work here? <laughs> because we need legal. And I went in-house for them. Oh, so I left my job. And I, I remember the moment, too, thinking, this is such a, like, it's a different way that I thought I was going to go. Like, I thought I was going to be at Toronto Film Festival, yeah. like Cannes Film Festival. Well, I actually realized that it's not as glamorous for those film festivals because mm-hmm. I was usually in a closet somewhere. Yeah. So it wasn't like I red was on the red agreements yeah. and stuff. It's not like I was on the red carpet there, so it yeah. wasn't exactly as glamorous. Yeah. But, but regardless, like, this seemed so much fun. So, so you moved to Style Hall. What about, like, Jen M and the clients that you had on the side? They actually said I could keep them. Okay. Yeah. So I told them I was going to keep them. It was more of like, I think I did 30 hours with them okay. um, a week. So I still had time to do my own clients. And so I did that for a little more than a year hmm. and then left the company to start my own. Rare. Rare Global. Global. And yeah. you went from attorney to manager, right? And how did you, how did you do that? So the manager thing, I think when we started it, like we didn't even know what a manager was, but when I remember one time Jen called me from a hotel in New York for that Teen Vogue deal. And it was I think six in the morning or something. I answered it. She, she said, Ashley, they're not letting me check in. Like they don't have my reservation. What do I do? I'm thinking, why is she calling me about this? This is so weird. Yeah. Like it's not part of my statement of work essentially. Right, because as a lawyer, truly lawyers, yeah. they do the deal and then they're like, they're gone. 
if you have a problem, call me and I can help tell yeah. you what the contract says, but I have nothing to do with the management of this. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was kind of used to. And then she'd have these other questions. Hey, um, on my campaign brief, it says that I need to say this, but I don't think you agree to that, right? Mm. And I thought, okay, now I have to check. Yeah. <laughs> like, why do you keep coming back? Yeah. And I, it, I didn't get it at first, but then she said one day, I think you're my manager. Huh. And so I said, what do you mean? She said, other, I noticed that sometimes people have managers and I think you're mine. So <laughs> I thought, okay, I'll be your manager. Yeah. <laughs> so then we just talked about it and like what that would entail in the new, you know, SOW essentially. But mm-hmm. I don't know if we realized we were doing that. And so I actually was managing Jen and Stephanie and a few other content creators as the time went on. Okay. Um, and so I had, I had like Jen when I left Style Hall. And then that's when I kind of, and my sister, you know, who I've managed yep. since the start. But that's, and even at, and during Style Hall, I kind of had placed my sister with a different management. So then when who I- Who was she with? She was a Gleam. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so, because uh, I thought they were doing a good job based off what I'd been seeing. Mm-hmm. And so they, she was with them and it was it was good. And yeah. then, so yeah, when I was able to then, you know, have more time, I left Style Hall. And then I said to a certain, for certain few clients, I can represent you now. So I had like a pretty good roster already. Yeah. Like right away almost yeah. with Jen being like such a success story, right? Yes. And did you go from 5% to like an additional percentage for like the management statement of work? Yeah. Management is, as you know, quite a bit more involved. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, you go to 20% okay. for, and for management. How did that change? Like, what did you start doing differently for her? Just seeing everything through, you know, seeing all the campaigns through and all the contracts we were already doing, but then also thinking truly big picture. What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? I always thought, like when I watched movies about managers, we can make anything happen if we take the right steps. Mm-hmm. So starting from all the goals. And I think that's like morphed over the years. We actually do have goal meetings now. It's very structured to get to where you want to go. But back then I was putting those protocols in place. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, it was just me at my kitchen table. Yeah. Contracts, campaigns. We eventually made campaign briefs, Mm -hmm. travel briefs, figuring out how to coordinate everything, even how to negotiate contracts with standard. Mm -hmm. I think I actually did standardize a lot of language while at Style Hall in legal. Like, for example, I remember I wrote two to three photo and or video frames hmm. for an Instagram story because yeah. they had just invented it. Like, it just came out when yeah. I was working there yeah. and they didn't know how to paper that because mm-hmm. they wanted to pay the girl to Do make it, them. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't know how they would explain what she was saying or doing in them. Huh, that's you know? funny. So it really was, I think, then the wild, wild west. I always hear people saying, oh, the digital still like the wild, wild west. We really have, you know, I think you'd be one of them to have standardized how we work Mm -hmm. as content creators with management, Mm -hmm. with production companies, with agencies, with direct brands. It's almost like a lot of coaching along the way. Like I remember booking initial deals and brands or agencies not even sending a brief or anything. And they're like, yeah, just go ahead. And then we submit it and they don't like it. It's like, well, you didn't tell us what you wanted. Right. And now that's like standard practice. Yeah. Or I remember one time they'd say, hey, where's the affiliate link? I'm like, mm. what? You didn't even give us one. Yeah. Like, we want to track sales. We're like, what do you yeah. mean? Well, then You'd send us a provide- trackable yeah. link. Like, yeah. yeah. No, that's so crazy. It's definitely come... A long way from like nine, 10 years ago. Definitely. And, it's, and a, yeah. it's a different, it's a different place, which I feel like some of the changes I don't love along the way. Like I think it used to be a lot about like 
I want to partner with this creator to develop cool content and get awareness. And now there's just like this obsession with ROI and sales and link clicks. And it's like, just become different. What do you think about that? I think inevitably that's what brands want. Yeah. And because the different platforms have allowed them to be able to track, they want that. Mm -hmm. But when you actually look at how a campaign goes right now with the technology that is available, you can't truly track, Mm -hmm. you know, and you can't actually track with numbers feeling. So I think that a lot of, especially for our larger content creators who are, have very, very high rates, you're not going to make that money back in sales. You probably will eventually in other ways, purchases at store, retail, your friend telling something that, that Michelle said, Mm -hmm. you know, but actual link clicks, it's not for us, especially for the content creators we do represent, they're not going to equate to you making your money back, which mm-hmm. I hear that from a lot of the brands who are just getting into the space. Yeah. They'll say, okay, I know this is her rate. How do we guarantee mm-hmm. that she'll make that in sales? <laughs> and we cannot guarantee that yeah, because I don't like, know ma'am, no. <laughs> how your purchase, how you're going to track someone getting to their car and going to the store. Yeah. So, or even, I mean, for me, I never buy anything on Instagram. I like to look around mm-hmm. and then I'll go on their website. And then I'll even figure out a different platform that it's available yeah. on and then compare the, the rates. And then I got my honey co- like coupons, yeah. you know? The path to conversion is like so difficult Convoluted. to track. Unless yeah. you're doing like link clicks to stories. But again, it's like someone might see the story, then buy it in a week. Of or course. it's just like way too hard. Have you had brands come back to you like after a campaign and been like, okay, we didn't get the results. So what more can you do kind of thing? We do that. We do see that sometimes. I wouldn't say a lot, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we do see that. And I have to say, if it's a brand that we, you know, really value their relationship and it's usually kind of a surprise because we can't guarantee how the content can perform. We are transparent about, you know, her analytics and how previous data on her, her platform performed. Also, we can't share how another brand's campaign went, mm-hmm. that's confidential and also in, in the contract. Right. You know, so a lot of times we see brands say, hey, can you send me the conversions yeah. from that other deal? No, we cannot. That's right. confidential, just like we wouldn't share how ours went with you. I think that it's kind of, first off, an education. But then, you know, the thing is, most of our clients at this point, they do just work with the brands that they actually like. Say, I'm going to use a HelloFresh example. Like Jen actually does love HelloFresh. If they weren't happy, she probably would have mentioned them anyway. Mm -hmm. So we might do them a solid and do a little extra mention. But that's usually because I think we're in a place where because of the strategy of how we we work with our clients, they only do work with the brands that they like. It wouldn't be a huge ask because they had already done it anyway before. But yeah, I'm not too keen to add extra like campaign style deliverables where now you're going to send us new talking points Mm -hmm. because doing a campaign is a lot different than an organic mention, you know, and also it's a huge time spent on the team. I think a lot of people in who don't understand social media, they think, oh my gosh, just mention it, whatever. It's not a big deal. Like it'll take two seconds. Yeah, it'll take two seconds. Yeah, it's so offensive. (laughs) You know, most of our clients have like a strategic manager a day-to-day manager, mm-hmm. a campaign manager, mm-hmm. and perhaps one or two admin who are working under those people. Yeah. So it's not just slap it on social media and hope for the best. Mm-hmm. They're getting paid really well because the content's that good. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. For someone listening who doesn't understand how a campaign comes together, like walk us through the process. So say like an email comes through to Jen's email that's like on her Instagram. What happens from there? 
Okay, so she actually has a JanetRare.Global email. Okay, so that's your management company, mm-hmm. like an alias. Yeah. So does that forward to you then? It actually is forwarded nowhere. Oh. Someone checks it daily or twice a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So each of our clients, I mean, technically it does forward to someone because someone has to be reading it. Yeah. But yeah, we don't do it where it just forwards into, because actually multiple people need to look at the deal. Got it. So what we do is after we see something that's good, whoever's checking it will loop in the larger team. Okay. And everyone on the the talents, te- that particular talents team will see that email. Mm. And we're pretty specific on the ones that we will move forward with. So it's kind of a conversation. What do we think for this one? Is it, a, is it good? How have we worked with them in the past? And after, you know, we decide that this could be a good potential opportunity for a client, then we'll discuss what they're thinking creatively, mm. you know, whether it matches. And then we might then at that point, discuss what the rates would be. Okay. And then once we get all the details, like down to usage, the paid media term, like exclusivity, only then would we actually like show our client okay. uh, the true final. Um, and you're like, hey, Jen, here's the offer. This is what you're getting paid. Mm-hmm. Here are the deliverables. And she, at that point, can she say, I don't want to do this? Or, of course. Okay. Yeah. I mean, generally she does. But we have to see every opportunity that could be valid through. But yeah, so we always do though, have an opinion. So I really think it's important as managers that we have an opinion. I see a lot of, I think, you know, less experienced managers Mm -hmm. who think, oh, I negotiated now, now you'll do it. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. In fact, we should negotiate it, figure out what the deal even is, Mm because then we have that knowledge. And then you and I, because we're a team, Mm -hmm. can discuss if, if we we want to do it. Right. You know, yeah. we're no, in it together. Yeah. I get that question a lot. Like, yeah, money looks great. I think it's a good brand. Like, should I do this? Mm-hmm. And then it's like, let's chat it through. Like, how mm-hmm. does this work with like the long-term picture yep, of it yep, all? Yep. Like exclusivities and like, where does this bring you? Because it's like the deals that you probably know too that come through the doors. Like there is a lot of money being spent in this industry from brands, but sometimes those brand deals aren't the best move for the talent long term. Mm -hmm. So how do you navigate that? And like, what do you coach your clients? It's actually very simple in my mind. When we make our goals, we set out all the goals that our client has. Mm -hmm. And we might meet once a year, but usually it's like around four times a year. But also we kind of weekly or monthly, depending on what our clients want. So we're really talking about the goals quite a bit. So we should be always aligned with what those goals are. And so if that brand deal doesn't align with one of the goals, then we just pass. Hmm. We need to have predetermined. Yeah. It's not like, let me change my goals to fit this brand deal. Like, you need to look at your goals. Oh, you want to do more in food. This is perfect. Okay. So that's kind of like, I guess, share examples of like what goals could be for an influencer in one of these meetings. So exactly if our client wants to do more in food and, you know, seaweed snacks comes Mm -hmm. in. She, She had maybe fed her child the seaweed snacks you know, one time. Mm -hmm. And she kind of likes it. It was never one of the dream brands, Mm. but you know, she wanted to do more food content and she wanted to do more content around home. Then we say, seaweed snacks actually sounds pretty good. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. let's do some content for seaweed snacks. Yeah. It's a good way to think about it because I'll have these meetings. I'm going to copy that now. I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I'll have these meetings with talent and they're like, you know, I want to do more luxury fashion deals. I'm like, okay, of course you do. Yep. All right. So let's unpack that. And how are we going to get there? Mm -hmm. So say in this example, if your talent was like, I want to do more luxury deals, what would you say to them from there? First, I would actually look at the client and and see if that even made sense. Mm -hmm. I had, I did have a client who actually did say, I want to do more in high, high fashion. Yeah. And when I looked at her- Like Chanel and Tom Ford and things Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. 
I mean, it totally makes sense for some clients. Yeah. But then for this particular client, she actually didn't, when I looked at the content, really veer towards those brands. She really actually likes the Zaras of the world, truly loves Target. Those are the things that she actually likes. So I, I said, okay, we'll just have to change all the content <laughs> to get this goal. Okay. Yeah. So when she actually started doing it, she realized, okay, I like some designer, yeah. but I don't actually want to be at New York Fashion Week every week. I, I'm seeing now I got to get a stylist. I have to have my outfit set every week. I'm going to have to shoot at least, you know, two to three hours, probably per week for my street style looks. There, there's just a lot to do if that's a true goal. So kind of starting to see if that's even right for you. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you got to change. If, you, if you're not already getting a natural affinity towards those brands and those brands aren't naturally going to you, then you need to change the content to attract those brands. Mm-hmm. And that's not an easy task. You might need to rebrand your entire brand. Yeah. Yeah. And have you taken a client through that rebrand process before? So one of my clients who I signed recently, Pokimane, Mm-hmm. She is the most well-known and largest women's Twitch streamer. Aha, yeah. interesting. Okay. She is so well-known in the space, but one of her goals actually is to do more in fashion and beauty. So we are really making some great moves to do that. You know, she's switching up her content. Mm-hmm. We are now kind of reaching out to different brands. She's brought on a publicist for this sole purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's, we're working with a stylist. She's doing this week makeup and hair just to, to figure out different looks. The stylist is definitely helpful because that can really help you just gap. It's it's a lot of work to figure out all the different brands and things that, that yeah. you need to wear, especially when she goes to New York Fashion Week. Is she there right now? I can't say what she's about to be doing, which oh, is really cool. cool. Okay, it's okay. confidential. Yeah. Probably by the time this comes out, it'll be okay. But she's she's getting some really cool larger luxury partnerships coming up. You wouldn't exactly guess from the previous content, but now as she changes the content, it's going to make sense, mm-hmm. you know? And that's one of her goals. So she knows that she has to kind of change up, do different things. I mean, she even made an announcement that she wasn't stepping away from Twitch, but she was exploring these new interests that Mm. she can now give time to. And does that mean she has to create content for like TikTok and Instagram now and move outside of Twitch? She she has now, right? And doing more in those spaces, thinking about just the different categories Mm -hmm. of lifestyle, fashion, beauty, and lifestyle, and even dabbling in tech. Not everything, if you want to work in luxury, has to be showing your luxury bags, Right. You know, there's a lot of different elements. It's more of you as a brand, as an influencer, as a lifestyle, a tastemaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the view that we're doing. And we're making those moves right now. And I have so much confidence because of her ability to create the content Yeah, that that we will get there. I mean, also she gets like a million views per Instagram stories. So that like no, helps. Yeah. a million views? <laughs> yeah. <gasps> she, gets, she gets a lot of views. How many followers does she have? Oh my gosh. There's a lot. Honestly, yeah. as I said, I'm not good with numbers. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a large, large amount. We, okay, you we'll can look take, it up. We'll look it up. <laughs> oh There's a God. lot of followers. Yeah, wow. That is wild. Which client of yours has the biggest following, social reach? I'm honestly not sure. Yeah. I think that it's really odd because when I think of the numbers, they truly, you know, you could have 1 million on YouTube. And, you know, end of the day, YouTube is truly our specialty. We represent a lot of the biggest YouTubers, women who have focused in this YouTube community. And so I don't really think, end of the day, sometimes there's a difference between one and five million on YouTube. Mm -hmm. It really depends on the engagement of the community. Because a lot of times, too, people lose engagement over the years. But the ones who have been able to retain that engagement, especially on YouTube, 
the numbers don't truly matter to me. Yeah. No, that's like some of the creators on our roster, like the ones that make the most money are actually in that like mid-tier following range. So around like 200, 300,000 followers. We focus on Instagram, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to me, you know, and it's, I don't know. I actually had some thoughts about about that mid-tier Instagram yeah, and the importance of, and I hate to say this, but the short form content also going on TikTok. Because I have seen this year that brands are starting to to pay less for the midsize on uh, Instagram and putting a lot of their budgets on TikTok. I know. Luckily, a lot of the midsize Instagram talent I've seen have just natural affinity yeah. to TikTok because like it's this short form content they already like to make. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that, you know, they're doing really, really well in that category. But if there's not little tweaks made so that they're just not on Instagram, but I know like you love TikTok and you're telling all your clients they have to be on TikTok. I do. I do. (laughs) I do love it. And also YouTube shorts, which like you're the YouTube guru. What are your thoughts on YouTube shorts? So it doesn't seem like anyone at TikTok is concerned about their entire potential platform just being taken down in one fell swoop. Apparently they think that, you know, they, they survived Trump. Yeah. They can survive anything. Um, I know, but it's like going into legislation and there's right. like... Right, right, right. So... I can't have it go away. I really can't. I know you love it so much. <laughs> I think that all you need to do to hedge your bets on TikTok yeah. is literally make sure that every single video that you ever made is on YouTube Shorts. Yeah. That's what I think. Okay. So, so if you're posting on TikTok, download it, remove the watermark, yeah. upload to YouTube Shorts. Yeah. Because then if they eliminate TikTok, at least your content has still lived somewhere, Yeah, you know, that, that you can have people see it. End of the day, YouTube's an educational platform. Hmm. Michelle Fawn, one of my clients, she said it so well. So TikTok's a lean back platform where you're just kind of scrolling and scrolling and being entertained. Hmm. Whereas YouTube, it's more of an engaged platform because you're going there. You might even search something because you need to learn something. Hmm. You might go to watch your favorite YouTuber because that's her Wednesday video. Yeah. You want to watch her and you're doing makeup on, on, on Thursday morning. So it's a different vibe altogether. It fills a whole different role. But I do think that if TikTok does go down, at least... Do you think it's going to? I can't say. But yeah. if it does, we want to hedge bets, right? So right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I honestly can't say yeah. because this world's crazy. Yeah, no, it is. It'd be crazy for TikTok to go away. But, yeah. you know, crazier things have happened. For sure. <laughs> For sure. I mean, someone would probably just like reinvent it, right? Right. Like it would just be, yeah. What are you telling your clients? Yeah, to like continue posting on the platform. Mm -hmm. Because I'm seeing like, I would say if brands were spending like 100% on Instagram last year, they have split that Mm 50-50 this year. Mm -hmm. 50 on Instagram, 50 on TikTok. And it's just like, if you're not relevant there, you're missing out on opportunity in my Mm -hmm. opinion. So. I don't know. And I think for TikTok, it's easier for a brand to work with a smaller creator there because they can just boost it and mm-hmm. reach like millions. Like we did a campaign with Raimi on TikTok. And Love at the her. time, she's the best. At the time, she probably had like 15,000 on TikTok. And we did a campaign with Green Mountain Coffee and it got like 15 million views or something mm-hmm. because they boosted it, mm-hmm. which is wild. Mm-hmm. You just don't see that like ability or reach on reels. Yeah. And that's why I've seen too, the usage on TikTok, it, they always want the usage. Mm-hmm. And they want the usage not only to just organically post on theirs, is they don't really even care about that. They yeah. want to be able to boost the video. Yeah. Because it's, it's so much easier, totally right, to mm-hmm. get the views mm-hmm. on TikTok. If you mm-hmm. pay you can get it viewed, Yeah, you know, or on Instagram, it's kind of like, 
I think we're getting the views. We're not exactly sure who's seeing it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that brands are definitely noticing that, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't Instagram just do a little bit more of that? But it's almost like they don't want you to be able to pay to boost I know, it. To the I right. know. And now, like, they're saying, oh, now we're, do- we're talking photos and now we're going to push photos again, still photos on Instagram. I'm like, you're kidding me. Like, you cannot, like, keep changing mm-hmm. this on people. Mm-hmm. Then creators have just, like, fatigue of, like, what is going to be successful? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm just telling my clients, like, do what you like to do because that will shine through. Like, if you're passionate about this, just if you like short form, if you like photos, just do you. Stop like listening to what the platform is telling you to do, which yeah. some of it flops, some of it does well. You know, I think that we've been managers for so long and we've seen so many different renditions of what's been going on. The clients that have long careers are the ones who make content that they actually like yeah. and like, like to watch their consumers themselves. They're not feeding off the algorithm. Mm-hmm. You might be able to make content. I know people always talk about going to their niche. But a lot of TikTokers I see, they're going to these niche mm-hmm. like areas, but it's not even really their favorite area. It's just because that's the one that their viewers got. It's great that they're doing well now, but I, I can't say that they're going to have longevity in their career if they just continue on that track. Mm-hmm. Because end of the day, as an influencer, you are your own brand. And if you've made your brand just based off of other people's opinions, you don't truly have an opinion. Mm-hmm. You don't actually have your own brand, which means there's there's no long career. Mm. So the clients that we've seen, and I I know because I've represented some of my clients since we signed them many, many for many, many years, I noticed that they make content that they like. Sometimes it's a joke because I have my opinions and they say, okay, so we say one for you and one for me. Yeah. So I I need you to make one for you. That's great. Mm -hmm. Now one for me, but that's great because that creator's pushing to just make content that they actually like. So I think that's, that's really important, but also difficult to tap into when you're starting. Yeah. You don't exactly know what you like. Mm -hmm. So you're trying all these different things, but yeah, strong opinion, definitely is is so more important in our space. Yeah, no, definitely. Outside of like social brand partnerships, as a manager, what else do you build with clients? And what does that look like? Is it brands? Is it capsule collections? I'd love for you to talk about that. I love, I guess it's so old school of me because at this point we've done so many capsule collections, <laughs> you know, collections, mm. talent X brand kind of collaborations. Yeah. I still like them. I think they're so cute. You yeah. know, when you get to collab with a brand and you that you've already loved. Like when um Jesse did a real Jessica Boo, mm. who we rep, she loved these certain eyelashes. So she worked with that brand. And so I thought, like those types of collaborations, those are cool, you yeah. know, because then she also tweaked it to be exactly the color brown of the mm. lash that she actually wanted. Yeah. That didn't exist. Oh, I love that. And it did so well. And it always does do well when you actually make yeah. A partnership that makes sense. When it's you know? a good fit. And in something like that, how does a creator get paid when you're doing a capsule collection? I get asked this question all the time, usually not by my own clients, but just by other brands and women in the space that, yeah. that I know. And, you know, honestly, it can look a lot of different ways. But if we were just to create a formula, I would say that because the brand will usually make the content creator guarantee something, right? Mm -hmm. They say, okay, she has to make two YouTube videos. One of them is going to be an intro one. She has to do three Instagram, you know, main grid about it. They usually have a lot of requests. Usually what we've done is some kind of upfront guarantee and then a pretty hefty revenue split. Mm. Like 50-50 or? 
Well, you know, you, it has to be based off of like how you define the revenue. Yeah. So revenue or profit or exactly. Gross revenue. Yeah. So I always like to just do if she sells a hundred dollars. Yeah. She should get twenty dollars. Hmm. Or okay. something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be off of what we call gross. Mm-hmm. That's 100%, right? So then I would say, or actually it would probably come in with, if, you know, $100 and she gains 40. But yeah. also talent sometimes doesn't understand. They, they want to split it 50-50, right? $100, mm-hmm. I make 50. Mm-hmm. Brands have a lot of costs. costs yeah. That a lot of cl- talent, they don't see that, right? So you need to actually educate your client. Like, they're going to spend a lot of money on paid ads, which is going to be great for you, mm-hmm. you know, and they're going to really push this and it's going to elevate your brand mm-hmm. and, you know, even get sometimes getting them to guarantee the marketing dollars. Mm-hmm. I usually like to also negotiate certain money for the photo shoot and the video shoot so that she can get the glam she wants. She can get everything she wants, uh, the right photographer, all the approvals. But yeah, you kind of figure out and just be transparent a lot of times, especially with the more up and coming like indie brands. Mm-hmm. I know because of Sereni Beauty with Chloe. <laughs> The amount of sh- that shipping's gone up. The shipping has cost more than the actual product itself. No. You know? Right. So how do you even do a collab when you're, you know, and in beauty too, we have such great margins, but they're getting smaller and smaller because mm-hmm. everything's getting more expensive and expensive, even down to the raw materials. Yeah. So even like educating our clients that, you know, we can collaborate in different ways. We have some really cool collabs coming up that I can't mention right now, but I'm really excited still about collabs. I am too. I, I I love a collab because it's also like for a talent who's like, I want to create my own brand. Like it's definitely a good starting point to see like, how do you sell? What is your community think of this collaboration? So I, I like to start there and then build a brand like from there. But yeah, with uh, Jen and her fashion label, Eggy. Oh yeah. Is she, she still doing that? She had that for quite a few years and then yeah. she kind of realized... I I'm don't done. really want to do this anymore. You hmm. know, she, yeah. the grind of fashion every season. I mean, yeah. you're, you're looking at, you know, you're trying to figure out what you're releasing. We were sold in Nordstrom Urban Outfitters. It was amazing. But at some point you figure out if you really like it or not, mm-hmm. you know? So mm-hmm. even that's such a good tip because yeah. for example, she also loves jewelry. So we've done quite a few jewelry collabs hmm. and we still haven't like pushed forward with jewelry yet. Also because of a lot of sustainability issues that mm. she finds important. And I, I do too as well, especially with Sereni, for example. Yeah. I want to talk about your brand. So Sereni is a beauty brand that you created with your talent, Chloe. So how does like a manager and a talent work together on creating a brand? Like that's not abnormal, right? It's not normal in the way that I think we did it. Mm -hmm. So Chloe Morello, she's one of the most well-known Australian influencers and also now in the United States. And she moved here a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. She's historically been mostly focused in fashion. I'm sorry, in beauty, yeah, but also in fashion. But she really had this idea. And I remember the day she <laughs> invited me to her house mm-hmm. to tell me about this idea. She hmm. really wanted just to, to figure out how we could do it. And so essentially what happened was she's put money in and Rare Global's put money in. And that's been the sole investors wow. in Serenity. And so then that means you two sort of split the ownership of the company. Yes. We okay. we have, she has certain ownership. I have certain ownership. She has certain requirements in terms of what she's expected to do. And so do I. Mm. So for example, she's product development, marketing, and I pretty much run operations Okay, and actually influencer. Hmm. So that, that piece too, because I, I, I can do the influencer piece. I've been on the other well, side. Well, you know so many influencers too. <laughs> right. Yeah. So we've been able to actually do really well with UGC because of that. But yeah, it's, it's truly been a partnership between two women and just figuring out, you know, what works for the brand. I mean, there have been so many setbacks 
just solely honestly because of the pandemic too, when which is when yeah. we started. Yeah. Factories going closed, right? You know, when we're supposed to get product created and things like that. So it's been a really amazing ride. Our uh, we're having a, a next launch, which will be in June. Okay, and that's just a new product launch. It's another new product. We okay. already have overnight overhaul, which yep. is the nighttime mask. Okay, which actually truly is a moisturizer. It's okay. a thick cream. Okay, um, and it has bakuchiol and a little bit of DHA because you know, we like like to be a little tan. Yeah. Um, oh, so it'll tan you a little bit. A tiny, tiny bit. Oh, cool. So, so you kind of wake up with makeup. Ooh, it has like a a very even sheen. Okay. Because it drops a little bit of DHA hmm. on your face. Is that like the stuff that's in like a tanning mousse yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. So it's an anti-aging product that includes a little bit of like a oh, makeup filter. Okay. Yeah. So that was her idea because she wants to wear less makeup. Hmm. And I especially think even me too, I, I wear less makeup than I used to wear and even don't wear makeup every day. Mm-hmm. So that's our first hero product. And then we have the eye shields, which are called Eye Renaissance Eye Shields, and it comes with a cute compact. Oh, cute. And they're actually reusable. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of the the sheet masks we have, use them once and then you throw them away. Yeah. You can put any eye cream you want under your eyes and then put the reusable silicone eye shields over it. Oh, that's smart. So more sustainable. Yes. You're not throwing it away each time. Yep, yep. Also And then we have some other, most of the stuff is skincare and makeup combined. Okay. So that's almost every product. Some multi- functional, multi-purpose. I think Chloe has been kind of burned with all the waste that she's seen in her career. So everything we do was recyclable. Even the component for overnight overhaul, it's an airless pump. Hmm. But most airless pumps, you have to take them apart because there's like a spring in it. Mm-hmm. This one is an airless pump, but you can fully recycle it after you use it and just put it in oh, the recycling. Interesting. Yeah. And how did you like, what was your first, so she had this idea. You're like, okay, I'm into it. I'm willing to invest. And then what, you go and find a manufacturer? Like, what does that process look like? I think because I had been working at another beauty brand for a couple of years already. So I kind of had an idea on how to get started. But yes, it's consultants. We have a product development consultant. We have an operations consultant. It's bringing in different people to help specialize in and make sure that those categories of things, you know, even down to shipping, uh, we have a partner for that. So Every single category, you have to find someone who's a specialist in it mm. and have them help, you know, on the That sounds on expensive. The so it's it's not <laughs> cheap to start a brand or a beauty brand. Oh my gosh. It's, it's Is it a lot more than you thought it would be? I kind of knew how much it would cost because I asked my friend, Tony Ko. Mm. She founded NYX Cosmetics oh, okay. and then sold it for $500 million. But uh, <laughs> that's the goal. Regardless though, she is very savvy on how to spend so she had actually said that to start any beauty brand probably costs around a million dollars. And she said, I'm, and I know everyone and I'll be able to keep costs low. So for someone who can't do that, I think we've done actually a lot better. I won't disclose exactly how much we spent. We haven't spent a million, but I could see how a brand could spend a million dollars for launch between website and issues with manufacturing and shipping and the actual inventory you know, the, the the minimum quantities you have to buy, you can't buy a couple hundred, you know, it's five yeah. to 10,000. Oh so if you think about that, and if you're going to do it right as well, when you're someone like Chloe, you can't kind of just test out to see if it hits. It's, it's going to have to be carefully done because everyone's watching, mm-hmm. you know, and there's so many influencer brands, as you know, now. Yeah. So and celebrity brands, which apparently are the new thing too. Yeah. So you can't, just hope for the best. You know, it kind of has to have all the pieces in place 
the marketing plan. I mean, probably one of our biggest costs is social, the hmm. actual posting of the social media. Oh, because you have to hire someone to yeah. like run the content and create the content? Yeah. I mean, okay. d- different people to create it even. Yeah. Because for our brand, we don't just want it to be Chloe Morello Beauty, that she didn't name it Chloe Morello Beauty. She named it Sereni. So the brand needs to stand alone. Hmm. So we need other people also speaking to the brand. So even that piece gets expensive because you need to have other people creating. Like models. And then you said UGC. So mm-hmm. do you use influencers? Like you send product to influencers in hopes that they create content around the brand? Yes. We've been really lucky, especially with the eye shields because they're so beautiful yeah, to show. Yeah, they're like aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. We've been really lucky. And even now with Overnight Overhaul, we've kind of bumped up our gifting a lot. Mm-hmm. And so even by doing that, we've been able to receive a lot of love at that it's at a much lower cost than how much I know our clients get paid. Like I, we can't afford yeah. to pay the clients that we have, you know? So you yeah. kind of like hope that people will truly love the products, which is we've been getting really good reviews, especially for overnight overhaul. Okay. So we have a paid media program, a paid media consultant, you know, she has to figure out what ads do well. I mean, even that whole piece is another expensive piece, you know, putting money behind the ads and things like that. So yeah, there's a lot of different, I think, categories. Mm-hmm. I have my my notion where I have all the categories. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's yeah. 20. And that that would mean multiple consultants, you know, across all of those. But I kind of see myself as the GM, okay. general manager, because yeah. I'm overseeing all of them. And I'm kind of a general specialist into all of them. Mm-hmm. And I try to learn as much as I can from each of them. But I'm literally not Kalita who runs paid media because- yeah, she, that's her she specialty. She actually does yeah. it every day. She said, this ad isn't working. We should do this instead. The power of like hiring someone who has a specialty and an expertise, like it is just so valuable. I, I mean, I learned hard lessons, like building my own business, like in the beginning, like with an accountant or lack thereof an accountant and legal and all mm-hmm. those things that it's like, it pays off in the end to, to find those specialists, to like bring them into your team. Totally for any business. Yeah. I, when I listened to our podcast with Tudo, mm-hmm. you know, she created the LLC accidentally and then realized <laughs> she needed an S corp. Well, she should have called me first because I've, I've talked to her before. I would, oh, have, really? I would have let her know oh, that. Yeah. But yeah, for an ind- like an independent contractor type, you yeah. should have an S corp, but mm-hmm. that's why bringing an accountant would have been so helpful just mm-hmm. from the start. Mm-hmm. Now she's going to need a bookkeeper. Yeah. Then she's, probably maybe going to use a lawyer. Mm-hmm. But actually, I found a really cool company called E-Minutes. Hmm. And they've been helping to start a lot of our corporations that we need for our clients. Hmm. And it's much more affordable. So I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah. I, I do like E-Minutes. Just like E-Minutes.com? I, don't, I think that's probably their website. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll Google it. That's interesting. Yeah. And speaking of like team members and all of that, you built a big team. Like how many people are on the Rare Global team now? I think we have, I'm like, oh my gosh, sigh. <laughs> Because, yeah, we have 12 now. I think it's 12 um, on the team. I never know how many people. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. And actually, last year was a really big building year for me. I did consider for a second taking on, like, outside investment just to get some of the money off the table because I, I do 100% of my business. Yeah. And so when I wanted to bring on, like, a couple new hires, that's a huge investment, yeah. you know? And end of the day, it's so funny when we go to lunch, people say, oh, can you expense this? And I'm like, well... <laughs> I can expense it, but I'm still going to pay for it because, you know, it's, it's my company. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, every expense is truly mm-hmm. out of my pocket at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, every team member is so important. And I feel like we're finally there with a really amazing team. Everyone pulls their weight. End of the day, I feel like most of my time spent these days is on employees. Yeah. Like you know? as the CEO? Yes. Like a lot of my yeah. developing 
employee. And like, I think of them as talent as well in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like they're the most important piece of the business Mm -hmm. and finding good employee talent partners who help run the business is so important. I, I can't say it's been easy at all. Finding good employees who understand our space, it, there's just not that many available. Yeah. And also a lot of employees coming out of college, I think they're watching TikTok a little too much because they're like, TikTok told me to ask for what I want and I want $100,000. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm never talking to you again. <laughs> Yeah. Because you're scaring me right now. Well, it's you're- a whole new demographic to manage, right? Like Gen Z employee talent. Gen Z employee talent, I would say, is they just see work differently than I did. And I know, like, I'm probably older than you. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm a, a little bit older than you. We don't talk age here. <laughs> <laughs> Offline, we can discuss. Yeah. But, you know, I truly do come from a completely different generation. You know, I was before Me Too. And for example, like I was sexually harassed at multiple companies I worked at, you know, and I don't think Gen Z would accept that. They value work-life balance, which I'm not sure that I even know what that is, Mm. you know, and we really, I've, I've tried to impart cultural norms. For example, like if you're, it's after work hours, try not to contact your, your coworkers or you know, you slack and then have it slack them the next morning or something, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to create these spaces boundaries. for boundaries, which yeah. honestly, I wanted the opposite when I was growing in my career. Like I would stay at the law firm until 11 PM. I didn't even, sometimes I didn't have work, but I wanted them to see that I was in my office. <laughs> so I would just chill and stay and like get food and do what I was doing, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes, but they aren't like that Gen Z. They really do find boundaries important. And so like, I understand and I appreciate that, mm-hmm. you know, but I also do think that there's a need for on top of that, like reasonability. Is that a word? It sounds like a word. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a word made, a lawyer would use. I, I, just, I just made it up. Yeah. So just understanding that it's great that you want all these things, but also you need to gather the work experience which you currently don't have. Mm. So I do see that for a lot of the young women that like I interview, there's a clear distinction between the ones who actually want to learn. So those Mm. are the ones that I hire because at our company, I feel like we're a mentorship. I've heard that some of my friends are agents. They say, yeah, well, if you've worked at Rare Global, it's like the the boot camp of no way. <laughs> like influencer management. Yeah, you're the I'm tough like, boss. I could see that though, but it's like you have so many skills yourself. Like you are an attorney, you are a manager, you're so like you can learn from you if you work for you. So Yeah, and I'm totally willing to impart that knowledge. So I want to because I also want all of our employees to be able to have like good skills. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the whole point of mm-hmm. having a job. I don't think it's actually to make a paycheck. I think it's to gather more skills and grow as a person. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I, I try to foster in addition to just working with people that you like and want to yeah. be around. I chose my job and I continue to be the CEO of the company because I get to do whatever the fuck I want every mm-hmm. day. Yeah, And that happens to be this job. I wake up and I want to do this job. I could go and I definitely could be a CEO of another company and run a different company. I just choose to do this one because I like it. Mm-hmm. So I want to be with women who, and by the way, we, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but we only have women. <laughs> I've only hired women. 
back in the day, you know, if you said that out loud, like, like you'd be crazy, you know, but our whole company is just women. So I want to be around women. And I can say that because it's only women every day yeah. that I like. Yeah. And you're building something together that is so powerful, right? And you're, you know, you've built this team of women and you empower and represent women creators. Right. Yeah. And a couple cool men, you know, Roger yeah. Who, Gabriel Zamora, okay. Ben Jolliffe. There's a couple cool guys in there, but I do really like the culture of mentorship that yeah. we've built because everyone really is expected to help everyone else. Mm-hmm. And the way that we've kind of even crafted the teams, everyone does have to kind of help each other because every team's a little different. You might work with someone different um, on one team than another. So it's not really siphoned. And I think that that really helps with the spirit of collaboration because you can learn from the different managers and the different campaign managers every day. I love that. Well, Ashley, this has been amazing. We've just been chatting through the whole hour. So I can't believe it. Oh my gosh. I know. That was literally an hour. (laughs) We got to get back to work. We're busy CEOs. But where can people follow you? So my Instagram is Ashley Rachel. I don't even want to say my TikTok because... Why? You, I didn't even know... Do, do I know if you're on TikTok? Do I'm on TikTok, but truly our social team posts for me and I... Okay. I'm it's not. not. A, I'm not a TikToker like you. I am not a TikToker <laughs> I either. I do watch your content. I no. think it's so good. You do? I love it. Yeah. <gasps> I just think you're... I like people with opinions. Okay. You know? Yeah. And you have lots of educational opinions, which is truly what we practice in, on TikTok. It's yeah. like, have an opinion, educate. And that's yeah. what you're doing on your TikTok. Oh, so my god! I wish I could do as... as you as, totally could. I, I try my best on, on Instagram. Yeah, on your reels. On my reels. I do have support. I have to say I'm not doing it all myself. So I, I do get some support. We have an amazing social team who helps put it together. I love that one that you did where you were telling your whole team to make a TikTok when they really should be working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, the TikTok got like 10 views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Story of my life. I literally like I'm always trying to because I think it's like really interesting as like a CEO and a business like having a presence and brand online especially with the industry we are in like it's but that's what that's why I think your podcast is so fascinating because that's the point of the podcast building your business via social Mm -hmm. and you are also doing the same so you're an example of that you are also building your own business via social using social media yeah so many people find you guys because of (laughs) Your socials. Yeah, that's and true. And so we try to we try to do the same, you know, and your company has a different perspective than my company. So whoever fits best with different ones should go with the ones that that make sense. Mm-hmm. And then our Instagram is at Rare Global. And I want that Instagram to have a perspective as well. Mm-hmm. It it should have a perspective like just like any content creator would. Yeah. You know, so yeah, I think that it has been cool when you when you meet different content creators and they say, I've been following Rare Global for so long. I really like your Instagram. I'm like, which one? The Rare Global one. I'm like, yeah. nice. And it's nice <laughs> to feel and like be able to educate people through that platform too. We do. Yeah. And that's one of our pillars too. We definitely want, and I, we also do a lot of like how to find a job kind of content. Oh, that's I think smart. that does really well for some reason for yeah. our, for our viewers. So there's, you know, the, some of the content creators who look at Rare Global because they want to be signed by us. But then there's also the ones who are getting work tips, mm. you know, working corporate. Yeah. And you could still learn about how to be a talent manager, what influencer management is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then for my own personal Instagram, which, I, as I said, I do my best. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a mixture of just like what I'm up to. Yeah. Which, it's like lifestyle. Yeah. Fashion, beauty, tips, And now my garden. Because I love my I garden. I love your, we can talk about that later. <laughs> but I'm like, I want to meet your girl that did the garden. Yeah. Chai Ming, Coastal Homestead. Oh, so good. She's helped a lot. Yeah. She's my best friend now. Oh, I love that. Okay, we're, I need that information. All right. Thanks, Ashley. This was great. Thanks, Allie. I really appreciate you having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.